0: Right, welcome back to the Precision Unloaded podcast, episode twenty-one. Now, Mark is MIA tonight, but we have a special guest and a bit of a podcast with a bit of a different flavour, uh, different topics, still firearms, um, but not sort of normal hunting and, and, and precision shooting stuff. So tonight's uh, sort of uh, rough guide to our topics is military surplus rifles, and as a guest, I have on Hamish from NZ. Uh, NZ Milsets, welcome Hamish. Hello, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I know you're uh, flat out in Auckland, um, being in, on lockdown. Oh wait, I'm on lockdown too. So um, that's a... flat
1: out horizontal.
0: <laughs> so, so this is probably the only thing Hamish has done all day. Has been waiting for us to record this. Um, yep. I, I imagine you live in town, so it's. Uh...
1: Yep, just on the outer edges, and it's <laughs> boring. I wish I had some land to shoot on
0: yeah there's there's not everyone's as lucky as me um so again like i said uh, we'll, we'll talk about sort of um hamish will introduce himself uh, who he is what he does in a minute and we'll talk about um how we got into surplus firearms and and then we'll sort of um talk about a few things uh you know rifles that could be worth investing in um ones that are good to buy as shooters or that, that are accurate and uh ammunition availability and and making ammo etc um It'll be a little bit loose, we, we've got a real, like a rough list of topics here, but um, I'm not expecting to be too stringent on that. So, um, Hamish, who are you, what do you do, and what's NZ Millsurps?
1: Hi, uh, I'm, I'm Hamish, I, I've run NZ Millsurps for, well, coming up, it's two years now. Um, I got into military surplus when I was about 16, like most people that into firearms as soon as you get your firearms license you get your your first gun um i was lucky enough my first gun i ever got was a um i look back and i regret doing what i did but it was a bruno eight millimeter mauser that had been sported i bought it on trade me and you know what you normally do you go buy an archangel stock and yeah you, <laughs> you put a scope on it and you think oh this is a great great hunting rifle and it's the heaviest thing in the world um thankfully I didn't butcher it. Um but that's how I got sort of got the taste of military surplus. I love shooting eight mil and learnt from there and I started to do a lot more reading before I bought my next rifle and I should have bought well done a lot more reading before I bought my first rifle. Um NZ mil Surps is a we, we bring in military surplus rifles into New Zealand. Um, we bring in, majority of our rifles are Swiss firearms that we tend to not see here too often in New Zealand. So things like K31s, K11s, IG11s. Um, and we can get a lot more. Um, so, yeah, what we, we tend to focus on is... Bringing in military surplus, we try to show them off so Kiwis can actually see you can get surplus in New Zealand. You can bring in these sorts of things, um, obviously with the the right paperwork. Yep. So
0: nice, nice. So 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 you and I, have, so we've been sort of dealing with each other for the last couple of years. Um, so obviously, uh, if you follow the Tarnacky Long Range Shooting stuff. Um, NZ Millsurps sends me down uh, sort of rifles, so sort of samples out of their um, imports, and we do a bit of shooting with them, make a few videos, put pictures up, etc. etc. Um, same thing, just sort of, uh, well, it's all exposure in it. I get to play with a cool gun, and, and, and you get access to sort of some uh, other eyes on the content and, and stuff like that. So we've had quite a good relationship, it must be about two years now since we've started talking, I guess, roundabouts. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, again, like you said, you've sent down some quite lovely Swiss rifles, um, which are probably my favourites. Um, but we'll talk more about those later. Um, so if guys, if guys do want to there's certain specialty uh, firearms, they can contact you, and and you can try and track stuff down, and and, um, and and sort of import and take care of things, and 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 source guns, can you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So things like um, if there's any it's not just Swiss firearms that we get um so I've got a couple of people that message me and say, "Oh hey, I'm looking out for this and it'll be like for example, I've got a customer that said to me, Um he wants a k ninety eight Norwegian variant that hadn't been converted to thirty odd six and that was two years ago when he asked me, and I stumbled across one within about three months and i thought this is this is the odd." Um, So we can sort of source things, but I do continually shop um, all throughout Switzerland and we're now starting to have a look at some other countries as well, like Italy, and trying to source um, out of all these different countries and different areas um, and bring them all into New Zealand. So if you're looking for something in particular, just let me know what you're looking for and I can try find it and bring it in. yeah, so we we do find some very interesting pieces. There's um, ZFk55s that were brought uh, a couple in. There'll be another one coming in, and there is a VZ54, which is a like a Mosin sniper that a a customer of mine said he really wanted, and I to be honest with you, I didn't because I hadn't read a huge amount about it. I scrolled straight past it, and I thought, oh, no, it looked like someone had been playing around with a Mosin, and um, I messaged him and looked and read, went, oh, that's what you're looking for? You want one of those? Um, So we managed to get him one of those, and they'll be coming in on our next shipment.
0: It is an extremely unattractive rifle, isn't it, the (laughs) (laughs) VZ-54?
1: I thought it was a sporter.
0: It does look like a sport. It looks like a crude sporter. Wow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that, that's cool because, like, a lot of the market here, unless guys are uh, brave enough to import them, their own stuff, which a lot of guys aren't or they're unaware, like you say, or just not interested, like me, um, you know, that we you're sort of stuck with a certain sample size of, of uh, surplus firearms in New Zealand, which have become incredibly... Uh, more sought after since the ban of semi-automatic rifles um, you know there's guys who used to collect semi-automatic um, sort of commie stuff and now that's not there so they've moved into Enfields and Mouses and whatever you know and so the, the demand has just gone through the roof and except for very few examples of guys like yourself there's not a lot more coming in so um, at least you bring in sort of fresh um, stock into the market and um, and also interesting stuff like you've, you've bought in um, or you're bringing in some uh, Finnish uh, Mosins, I believe. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of those around. Uh, well, actually, my friend's got two of them anyway. <laughs> um, He's a order now. Well, they're, they're probably going to go for sale, so I'll tell you about those later. Um, and so, so, you know, there's. there's or, or a lot of this stuff is tied up in collections with uh, older blokes who've had it for 50 years, and um, uh, so it never sees the light of day, so. Yes, anyway, so that's who Hamish is and what NZ Bill Serps does. So you, my next question was, how did you get into Serps' firearms? But you obviously covered that when you explained yourself, so you, you got an email and and, uh, and and went from there. So one, what was your first sort of co- like nice collector's sort of piece you got after getting that original um, that original up?
1: I would say... I, I bought a couple of rifles from a guy down in Taranaki. He um, imports a lot of Swedish guns. Mr. Mm-hmm. Champion, um, yep, mm-hmm. Graham Champion. He's very, very good. Yeah. Um, and I bought a Husqvarna 1943 M96. Yep. And a M38 as mm-hmm. well. And um, the 1943, it was quite an interesting piece. Yep looked like it had never ever been shot before which most of the guns that Graham brings in tends to look that way um so yeah well I I kept those and have shot both of them quite quite often and I they would probably be my they're my first guns I ever bought and they're probably one of my favorites of all um and the cool thing about the 43 is that they mainly were used for M41B sniper, vi- uh, sniper rifles. So if they weren't used for a sniper rifle, then they were put into pub- or just public use yeah. and used from there. And they never made a huge amount of them. I actually couldn't, can't remember the exact numbers they made. I think it was only about 10,000 for the 1943 variants. And Graham had two of them two um M96s and I bought both of them because I thought shit low production sounds like me
0: yep no, that's love cool. them <laughs> that's cool. I'm trying to think what my first sort of <clears throat> so when I first got into it I bought a lot of uh well it, oh, it was it was a decade ago but it, <laughs> you know you know when you first get into it and all the old guys are like man everything used to be so much cheaper well that's me now you know everything, <laughs> everything used to be so much cheaper but I'd buy your sort of mismatch numbered um uh, less desirable surplus guns. Back back then they were a lot less desirable so I'd be buying, like the first I bought a K98, a, a German signal war K98, I can't remember the, the manufacturer or the, or the, the um, year but I got it for like 300 bucks. Someone had lightly refinished the stock and I bought an Arasaka and I bought a Kikano and heaps of Enfields and Mosins, like at the time you were paying between 300 and 500 dollars for a um, a, you know, a Example of whatever. Now there was the much nicer stuff, obviously, but mismatched numbers. You could, it was quite affordable, and, and they all sh- were shooter, shooter grade. <clears throat> and then when I when I built my house, I had to sell a lot of stuff to uh, fund the deposit. But anyway, um, but I guess the real, the, the first real nice one I bought was a uh, Gewehr ninety eight, all matching numbers. Um, example. I bought that in 15, 14 But yeah, and, and that was sort of, the fir- I think at the time it was the most expensive firearm I bought. It was about. No, I bought an AR fifteen before that. That was expensive, but it was like fifteen hundred bucks or sixteen hundred bucks at the time. Was like I wow. was like, "Frick, you know, that's so much cash." But um, well, you, you couldn't even find them, let alone find one now. So, and then um, yeah, that's probably the first real nice gun I gun I got, to be honest, in surplus terms, all matching. Uh, you know, it was.
1: I struggle to come across them.
0: Yeah, they're just not around. Big a ninety
1: eight, ninety eight. Like so yeah, I can barely find
0: any of them. I guess I guess a lot were converted to carbines for World War Two maybe. I don't know. I could be talking that way. Uh I could be I well,
1: come across a lot more K ninety eight. Yeah. I mean Even the, that K ninety eight market's changed huge. Well, wow, it's, it's
0: that it's that obsession with the, the German um surplus in it.
1: That yeah, people, very much so. Well, like, it's, a it's, lot of it's
0: people are popular, you know
1: we are really focused on those countries german russian a lot of a lot of russian at the moment i noticed and um american if you can even get your hands on american
0: stuff yeah i guess a lot of it like the, the german stuff we fought the germans in both wars like so our, you know great grandfathers and great grandfathers fought them so i guess there's some uh, uh, some draw there to, to no. kiwis but um and I mean, especially if you can get stuff that's linked to, like, the Africa Corps or something, or, um, which is going to be mentally expensive anyway. Um, but, but, yeah, a so anyway, we're, we're digressing. So, so, what's your favourite nation's rifles to collect? So, sort of a series of rifles or a specific country. I think I know the answer to this already, but um, what, what would be your favourite? Yeah, I
1: think if anyone follows me, they'll know pretty quickly um, there's two. I've got my Swiss... Swiss rifles are my go-to, or Swedish. Um, With Swiss rifles, the more you get into it, it's not just K31s, K11s, IG-11s. There's tiny little changes that they made, even 1900s and 1905s. There were small changes that that they did that interest me a lot, but to the average collector, they'll look at it and go, oh an IG11 which is the the long rifle that they used in World War 1 well, not used but just protected Switzerland um, they'd look at that and they'll see a 1896/11 and they'll look exactly the same and in my eyes I see the semi pistol grip but it's just the fact I've tend to read a lot about Swiss firearms and I've had to learn a lot about them as well just is the Swiss are very particular on what they have, and they know what they've got. <laughs> um, and Swedish. Swedish firearms, i always, always loved Swedish firearms. 65 by 55 you can find the ammunition pretty much most stores yeah, have even, that even,
0: na- even now, with the shortages, it's still on, sh- on shelves, yeah.
1: I was quite surprised, actually. <laughs> A lot of places have still got it, um... Even though everyone's wanting to buy that Hornady, is it one forty-three grain, six point five m projectiles at the moment, so you'd think they would potentially look at other calibers. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, those six point sorry, just reading what you wrote. Um, The the six point five in those guns are light shooting, great for new shooters. That's what I sort of when I bought them from Graham it was a sort of a blessing in disguise that they were light recoiling so at least I could get used to shooting military surplus and then going from there and going and buying other guns that are a lot more heavy recoiling which I think you've got one of mine, mm. one of the heaviest recoiling I've got.
0: Eight mil. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's I, I've noticed you, a theme to your favourite two countries is you like neutral rifles
1: they tend to spend a lot more time on their guns. And and they're, they're all in good condition. And all in good condition <laughs> is a good one as well. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that when I started collecting, I thought, oh, I'd get into German guns and, and American guns. And what I realised was for the price of a German gun, I could buy two Swiss guns or I could buy two Swedish guns. And I thought... Or more is better, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the reason why I tended to go down the Swiss or Sw- um or Swedish route, and yeah, I I like the Mauser action, and I know a lot of people would prefer the number well the Leinfield action, but in New Zealand, but that's each to their own.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm no matter what I do and all the cool stuff I play with. Still love three oh threes. It's it's just a, like a it's like a patriotic thing for me. I don't know why. Um, like like the K 31s superior to the number four, in my opinion. As like a wow, well, sh- wow well, maybe machining and the accuracy. It's just so nice, you know. But the, the, but the number four is nice. And, although really, I don't know why I'm with number fours. We we didn't use them in the Second World War. We're still using number ones. Majority of the number fours in New Zealand were us, <clears throat> given to us by the Canadians post-war. So I guess we use them in Malaya and that's probably about it. Anyway, I digress. Mm. Um, but it's that Kiwi 303 thing. Our, our grandfathers shot it, our great-grandfather shot it, our dad shot it. It was used as a culling round for so many years. So like my great-uncle, he still got his uh, number four. He was issued by the Forestry Service. and huh? Oh, he was the... 50s early 60s it's all original number four a long branch canadian made one he never chopped it down he kept it in good condition kept the barrel clean so it didn't rock Sounds the barrel. Like a good guy yeah i know it's quite bizarre eh for a forestry like a deer culling gun geez i um, thought they'd cut that down pretty quick i know yeah, and he had yeah and he, was, he was in some horrible mountain range anyway um but yeah no matter like just always fall back to three three i don't know why there's um there's a charm to them, but, um, yeah, anyway, um, so, what else have we got? Okay, so, so that's who you are, what you do, what you like to collect. Now, uh, I thought we'd just have a few topics, Ready, ready, right So, what would you say is a good, um, if you wanted to sort of get surplus for an investment, um, obviously most, most of this stuff goes up in value now, quite significantly. How long that will last, we don't know, but... Um, what are a good series of rifles or specific rifles that you think is a good investment now that will um, increase in value in the future? So, say it's not like go buy a K ninety eight with Waffen stamps on it now because obviously it will go up, but it's really it's really expensive to begin with. So, what do you think a good um, a good gun I'll to look. to collect now and and re- reap the rewards later if that makes sense?
1: Um, I think if you can come across even just a number 4 Mark 1. Yeah. <laughs> Mark 1. Not yep. not a star. Yeah. Um, if you can find one, I think is a very... Well, not only are they great shooters, all of them... Well, sorry. Some of them. Um, I, I pretty much would say it's on condition in, in general. So if, if any gun, I would recommend just to know what you're looking at before you buy it know that you're not spending too much on a gun when you walk into a gun store. Um, I would try to do as much homework as possible and I know it's a millennial thing to say it, but watch YouTube videos on it.
0: Yeah, frick, yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I would... Ian at Forgotten Weapons or um, Othias at CN Arsenal. Those are my two that I tend to watch quite a lot and... If you're wanting something that's just a quick overview, watch Ian's view, any reviews on it, and find out what you're looking for. I think um, the guns that have gone up a lot, even in the past 10 years, would be something like a Mosin, and it's the gun that I wouldn't normally will say. But if you work out, they've gone up a huge amount, and K98, so finding cheap surplus in New Zealand now Is becoming harder and harder to come across Mm -hmm. which I look in even in my few years of buying and collecting I've noticed prices have gone up significantly Um, even from a a Mosin I think the first Mosin I ever bought was probably 430 bucks which is probably still more than what most people spent and (laughs) if they're listening to this I
0: I still wouldn't pay that now (laughs) no
1: I I've sold it now, um, <laughs> but I was just horrified at now seeing them, and they're selling for a thousand bucks. I saw one sell for what was it thirteen hundred dollars the other day, and I thought that that wasn't anything special. Hey, if it was like a ran, like a, re-
0: a round receiver one,
1: a round receiver, Ugh. just I think it was a Tula nineteen forty three. So just like run of the mill, nothing special. I was sort of going. <laughs> what's going on but the more you research into it the more you'll understand on what to get um, I always hear people say oh just round receiver or hex receiver, hexes are worth a lot more but then there are some round receivers that are worth more than a hex receiver yeah. because it's a rare gun Yeah. so I'd, yeah. what I would recommend is to buy well depends on how much money you've got to spend on a gun but do the research and find a, a gun that you think is or that you know is rare um, like if the guns that I managed to get from Graham Champion those 1943 M96s to most people would just be an M96 um, I've just had a look at my book and it, it actually says that 1943 produced, they only made 8,750 of them so there's not Many of them, and I would classify that as a rare gun, but you have to find another Swedish collector, and then they'll see 1943 if they've done their research and gone, that's actually a good gun yep. to buy because that's going to go up in value. I'd buy it on a rare, rarity factor rather than and, and quality and condition factor. If you had a good quality kakano it's going to be worth more than a low-quality
0: kakano in my view. I actually speaking about Cacanos, i've owned a few over the years because they used to there used to be a couple floating around and they used to be like two hundred dollars um just your run of the mill sort of i don't remember the model 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 designation but you you saw second world war fascist italian ones but a first world war Cacano popped up again is it was that an m90 whatever 1891
1: wasn't it yeah anyway
0: it was it was lovely it's the full long rifle had it had a sort of a tiger type pattern in the wood um it was absolutely stunning and the the marks meant the, the 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 machining was a lot nicer than the um second world war examples from memory anyway and i thought oh no no one wants kakano's i'll buy on this buy this but obviously the demand for first world war era kakano's was much higher and it soon uh, went uh, to the stratosphere price-wise so but i would like a early kakano actually they're um quite an interesting gun um yeah, you know, I know a guy that's got a um,
1: a scope for one. Oh yeah. One of the original sniper scopes that yeah. they made, and I think they only made about twenty five or thirty of them. Um. And he was reading a book and coming across the Kakano sniper rifle and looking at the scope and went, "I've got one of those scopes. <laughs> I'm gonna go have a look at it." Yeah. And went and pulled it out, looked at it, and went, "Shit." I've got one of the scopes. Nice. Um, And you contact the guys over in Italy at um, at any of the factories or any of the museums and they'll probably offer you a lot of money for (laughs) that scope. And he just went, I just wanted to tell you that I've got one. He didn't want to sell it. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to sell it. I just wanted to let you know that at least one of them's made it to New Zealand and it's in good quality. Yeah, nice. I'm sure he'll just continue to get a a checkbook thrown at him. I wonder Just if take it.
0: if Kiwis would would like Kakanos now. I guess maybe not your everyday sort of passing interest. So it was but They've got such a stigma attached to them, and all people talk about is the sort of JFK thing. But it's um, they're actually not a bad gun to shoot. I've, I've shot one quite a bit. I had a, hmm. a bunch of actually World War Two ammo. Um, we shot most of that. I, I may or may not have even bought a set of dies. But anyway, um, but it's it's well, very you can mild. Still get ammo for it yeah you can Hornaday do a because it's, it's not your normal 6.5 projectile it's a different diameter so Hornaday actually make a specific bullet for reloading in the Kikano. Um wow if, and I imagine PPU makes ammo because they seem to make everything but, um, I
1: saw um, I think it was the Norma they've got some ammo that they're selling um, I was going oh shit
0: I didn't realise Normal would make that sort of ammo I know they've got um, brass, yeah, You can get they've got brass available in New Zealand, but it's horrendously expensive.
1: I think the name has
0: a horrendously expensive price to it. Yeah, well, because I was, I, I put up some pictures, I was shooting one a while ago, and a the guy there who works the economy, he's like, hey man, if you need brass, we got brass, and he sent me a link to it, and I was like, oh shit, I'll just buy, I'll just buy PPU brass for, you know, like one-eighth the cost, because um, it's only a, yeah. it's, it's not something you're going to shoot a lot. But yeah, so that's probably one gun that if you could find for a reasonable price and um, probably worth picking up would be a cacano, a Second World War K-Kano. Um A lot of um, older friends and
1: Italian guns that a lot of people, if they're watching YouTube or watching any of these importers in, in the US, wouldn't see that they're coming out of
0: um, Africa yeah, and ethi- they're, they're Ethiopia, buying them in yeah. the,
1: Ethiopia. Yeah. Maybe, you them need the,
0: a, maybe you need a Get a, f- a flight to Ethiopia and get us a big box of guns.
1: I think we could uh, we could source some, but I I know the importer that's taking them out of Ethiopia doesn't like to share a lot. <laughs> oh, fair enough. He's very cornered the market because uh, t there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of well. French
0: and Italian stuff coming out, correct? Isn't
1: there? Yeah, and um, yeah. The, what was it a label? I saw a label that had been shortened for the Congo. I thought that's quite cool that's very there's cool. something different about it that I like
0: Lebel's are extremely but, hard to get in New Zealand so for those of you who are listening out of um, just supporting what we do or just have a passing interest Lebel's a French sort of um, what are they 1891 Lebel is that the model 1891 mm. uh, it's yep. a tubular fed bolt action magazine so think of your um, how a shotgun is fed via a tube a pump action or a semi um, it'd have cartridges in there and a bit of a not a bad gun but not a great gun altogether but extremely hard to find in New Zealand so I've got a big stack of French guns in the shed obviously all locked up safely Um, and the only one I'm missing out of pretty much the whole collection through to semi-automatics is the Lebel Um, and I don't imagine you'll get one cheap if you do find one in this country north of two grand up even higher so um
1: are you wanting it to shoot or are you wanting it for photos? For photos.
0: Oh, well, like I'd shoot. Well, I've, got, I've actually got dyes and everything. Um, but. I know
1: of one, um, but the bore on it is smooth bore, um, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's not going to be the greatest. But if you need it for photos, then we can get you one
0: sent down. Oh man, if you can get one sent down, that'd be cool. they, they are an interesting gun. Um, I've, I've got the Berthiers and everything here, full length carbine Turkish version, but it's just that label is. Um, always been a tricky one. Uh, yeah,
1: I got one of those Turkish carbines. Yeah, they're quite a cool little gun.
0: Yeah, they're interesting. Um, I I think they were from guns left over from the uh, so that what they are they're a Berthier carbine, which is nice, short, and I, I could be well wrong on this, but the, the Turks they had them for their forestry service because people were stealing timber. So they gave them a, a rifle with a, a different calibre. So if these guys went into... They'd shoot at these timber thieves or something. They'd go into the hospital and they'd pull out an 8mm bullet and they'd know that they'd been shot by the Forestry Service. Or I could be well off and have just made up that elaborate story. So they shortened down these these berthiers and they put like a Mauser nose cap on them or something? Yeah, a
1: 1909 Serbian Mauser yeah. nose cap.
0: Yeah, and then... Um, so yeah, so they're an eight millimeter, eight millimeter label. I should, I should, um, I shouldn't. Should, I've got two here. I shouldn't speak one, and see if it's safe to shoot and actually shoot one. It'd be hard on the shoulder, I imagine, uh, being so short with such a big. Well, I've got belt.
1: one. If you wanna, you can double hand it. Have both hands. Well, I've already got
0: two. Oh,
1: well, you got two. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you just need a video with one in each hand.
0: Yeah. Um, I just need a. I've got a bunch of like billboard. World War Two machine gun ammo, um, but I, I don't know. I'll probably do some like lighter handloads. But anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, so maybe you know, No Hamish might bring us some cool stuff out of Ethiopia if he um, really wants to go down a rabbit hole of old guns. Anyway, so da-da-da. So okay, so we've talked about sort of stuff if you can find it for collecting and, and potential investments, but. Now, if you if you are like a lot of the younger guys getting into surplus rifles, um, a lot of them, instead of just purely wanting to collect, they actually want to have a historical firearm, but they want to get it out in the range, maybe shoot it once a year, maybe shoot it every weekend. Uh, some guys even hunt with them. A good friend of mine, um, he's done 90% of all of his hunting with a, a Yugo M- M48, I think the model is. Yeah. Um, so for guys uh, yeah, who want to get a gun as a regular shooter... Um, what do you think good options are? Um, so, obviously, stuff that you can find semi easy, and then um, you know. I'd pretty much go down
1: any 303 mm-hmm. yep. you can get your hands on, yep. just because you can get ammo for it and you can shoot it if you're not wanting to reload for it if you're only doing two shoots a year with it. Um, I would say any Mo's in the gant as long as it's not one of those 1907s that's mm-hmm. being cut down, if you don't want to... Oh, the fake ones. The fake ones. Well, fake, not You can fake, find a real one. Yeah. Go for it. Don't shoot it. Put it in a museum. Yeah. Um, and I would pretty much say your, your main calibers, your 303s, your 30-odd 6s, 8-well, Morser and 6.5x55. Um, and 7.5x55 is becoming a lot more... Available around the place. There's lots of places that stock that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd pretty much go down the route of any, pretty much number four Mark One start if you can get your hands on it, or start uh, number four Mark One. Any if you're wanting to get into it and wanting it to be un well, lower budget, I would probably say anything under a M forty M forty eight. The um.
0: probably what i'd recommend so that's the post-war yugoslavian mausers built on german tooling from memory yep yeah that they and they are <clears throat> generally for, as a rule of thumb an excellent or unused condition um and you I can think s- the guys that were importing them still have some were well, they coming well. through alraki maybe was it yeah. Al-Raki yeah um they used to be back before alraki was bringing them and i don't recall who was i there's a sh- there was a shop in town called ski and sport Back in when I first got into it, and he would direct import from a connection in America. So, this stuff would come in with um, American import marks you know, it'll, whatever would be electro penciled under the barrel or something. And he was bringing them in, so he used to be able to pick them up for about $400, but again, that was a fair few, few years ago now. But they were always in really good nick um, due to the fact that they were a lot of them were brand new, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I'd I say think I bought one. I'd say for me, obviously there's a 3R3 thing and it's, it's sort of, um, there are a lot around, it's just whether there's any, they're in good condition now, but my pick would be probably uh, yeah, the, um, the Swedish Mausers, um, 6555 light recoiling cartridge, <clears throat> as Hamish said, easy to get ammo for, um, and 99% of all factory ammo is um, loaded at a lower um, pressure to accommodate the fact that it's more than likely going to be used in an older firearm so you don't have to worry about using modern ammo it's it's all downloaded to suit the older guns as as a rule of thumb um don't sue me if your gun blows up um (laughs) but they are incredibly accurate too man the sights are good well i mean they're a basic sight but they're, they're simple the sights line up with the ammo near enough and um like i mean we do a little bit of stuff, but sort of shooting out 400 metres is, is quite a simple affair with these guns. Now, I'm not saying hunt that far if you want to hunt, but um, if you want to whack steel, you know, three, four, five hundred metres on sort of ipsc size targets, it's um, if you know what you're doing, it's the, the gun will uh, go along for the ride. So my, my pick would be, for the ease of acquiring one and getting ammo, it would, would be the, uh, the 6.555 Mausers out of uh, Sweden. And then... Um, obviously not trying to toot your horn but the if you wanted an immaculate shooter uh, accuracy wise um, would be the um, like a Swiss K31 or something they're just uh, oh, if you if you appreciate engineering also the bolts are fantastically machined and, and man the first one you sent down oh, 18 months ago I fired the first 6 rounds and shot like a little fist sized group at 100 metres and I was with a friend it's of mine, and, I was, and I, was think, I, was, like, I was thinking, shit, like old guns don't work this easy. or You know, this doesn't happen. There's usually a few quirks. The sights do this or that or, or whatever. you got to move it, and it was just in the middle of the target. Bang, 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 bang. And I was like, man, have I just missed the target, you know, five out of six times? And I didn't, and then it went to 200 metres, and it did the same thing, just slightly bigger group, 300 metres, same thing. Like, it was, it was impressive. And that was with the just same thing, PPU ammo now all the all the fmj sort of spitzer point stuff had already sold so it was the soft point hunting ammo it all lined up with the sights it was just a dream so if you want one that you either want to shoot in service rifle matches or plunk or stuff like that that would be my pick now the only problem with the two examples i've offered up is the sighting arrangements or a sort of conventional infantry sight, like a, a, a i guess you call it a barley corn notch or, or whatever um so if you're wanting to do long, long-range precision shots, that's where, like, the number form, uh, Mark 1, with its ladder sight or a P14 or a, a, a pattern 17, they've got, like, a, an aperture ladder sight or even a early or 3 Springfield. Um, but again, you start paying a bit more money uh, when they're in really good condition. So, But for general shooting, yeah, I, there's some good options. I couldn't there. agree more.
1: Yeah, like I think the, the, the aperture sights, if they... They put aperture sights on something like a Swedish Mauser or even a K31. I think would be perfect. Oh, you wouldn't um, even need a scope. It's a sniper rifle. <laughs> Essentially, it'd be that good. Yeah, but that is the one thing I think. Even like a, if you can find a a P14 or a M1917 at a reasonable price, then I think it would be. Well, your next bet would be one something like a K31 or, or one of those, um so yeah no, i couldn't agree more
0: yeah yeah i think there are some good options um and, and it's it, the, uh, one thing to, to say with it it's like i've got average eyesight but i've got pretty good glasses but you, you kind of need a good set of eyes on you to to make these things work at distance but if you just want to muck around at 100 meters or shoot tin cans um really you can just buy anything um but those ones we talked about we, we think are good options anyway okay so this is kind of... We're already sort of talking about it, but what surplus rifles are easy to get ammo for, so this is a big thing. So if, if you go and buy, like, a um, a Swiss vettel you're not going to find ammo anywhere, right? Like, you're not even going to find dies to reload for it. But, um... You've
1: talk- I've only got one round, and I've I managed to get that in. I even had to put a permit in for that one round. Um, yeah, no, it's... Very, very difficult to get it. Um... I wouldn't, if you're wanting a gun that's a shooter, I wouldn't probably get in the Vesely route.
0: <laughs> good ex- good. Yeah, but I mean, like you mentioned earlier, 303, uh, it's it's like a heap comes in from from uh, outdoor sports, bringing PPU, so a heap comes in through them. Now, they um, there is, PPU actually do a 174 grain load, which replicates the, um, I think it's the Mark six three oh three 303 ammo, which is what most things... Uh, excluding like the long tom and stuff are actually sighted in for um they don't actually bring that to new zealand for some reason so we get like the 180 grain the 200 grain and 150 or something but anyway i digress um more so Even probably some of that greek surplus yeah well, that's what so that's, why the, sur- no, that's why the greek now that's why greek surplus works well because the it's the right bullet weight for your sights so a lot of guys will get a 303 and might have a good barrel and they go holy shit the sights don't line up with anything it's, a lot of the time it's because you're you're shooting like a 150 and it's going a bit fast so it's, it's shooting high or or 200 it's going low vice versa uh, it's actually an, it's actually an issue we had at gallipoli when we when we landed at gallipoli we had the long tom which is a, <clears throat> a slang for like uh, the, the early lee metfords and then lee Enfields, so which is which is the, what a long tom is in a roundabout mm. way so we landed with, with our infantry uh, excluding the the um, mounted rifles we landed with the long tom and then we were supplied the ammunition for the SMLE, which was Mark Five or Six, I can't remember. No doubt someone will correct me. So it actually didn't, um, at, at distance, you know, past a couple hundred yards, it wasn't lining up with our, with our sights, uh, when they, our graduated sights. So <clears throat> they gained a reputation of being junk, and and and, and they soon discarded them in favour for um, SMLEs, you know, number ones that the Australians had, um uh, the, the guys have been killed, and so there was ex- there SMLEs lying around so that's where a lot of our first SMLEs come from um, at that point our only uh, mounted rifles had them so same issue now as is you get an old gun and it might actually be not that bad but if you're shooting drastically the wrong bullet weight through it the sights might be a bit dicky and they might take a little bit of work to, to get going um, it's just just something I've noticed over the years but there's also Winchester do ammo for three o three. Um, there's all sorts of random stuff that gets made so uh, SMB as well you, it, you get Sal- those training boxes Salyot Sal- and Bellot however how you say it, which is, I, I, it's the same yep. thing Eastern European um, they do a good selection they, they do stuff like 7 Mauser and everything actually they, they, they're, they're quite good for, for your older calibers um, other ones like you mentioned K31 you, I mean since you've started bringing the guns the ammo started following uh, you're not probably going to find the um, what's it called the gb eleven. What's the ammo for the?
1: Oh the. Yeah, the GP eleven ammo. Yeah, you're not going to find Swiss that. The Swiss Club. Yeah, you have now to join the Swiss Club to get so that. And...
0: turns out there's a Swiss Club in Taranaki, and I was at this thing of my bob about gun ranges here, and so I started asking them, hey, like, can I get some ammo from you? They, they were pretty pretty much told me to bugger off, <laughs> but, um, but they reckon it's getting it's getting quite hard for them to bring in with sort of laws, and I don't know if the government over there is paying for it anymore, but. Irregardless, um, but you so PPUs it works well. The brass is good, brass you can get dies. So if you want to reload, and then 7.5 just takes it's a 7.62 projectile, so you can just load up you know, appropriate bullet weight from Hornaday or or whoever, and um, you can keep those shooting pretty easy. Um, again, 6.555 is another excellent option, heaps of ammo. Um, 8mm Mauser, you, there's still several manufacturers, so b- bring in 8mm Mauser. Um, and most of this ammo that comes in will have a hunting type bullet and it's just sort of the nature of the beast here but um, yeah
1: any I, else I noticed could? that most of my the ammo I have bought modern ammo has been just all soft point but that's just because that's all I can get so all yeah. the 8mm unless it's the training boxes um, those training boxes from the S&B um, was it 50 round boxes they're the only ones that I've managed to find that has just full metal jacket
0: yeah yeah i mean it's not a bad thing is it it's not the end of the world it's still fine but um it's you just you still use it for hunting <clears throat> exactly so the the firearms market in new zealand is 95 percent hunting based now i'm just making that number up but i'm I, i'm pretty well certain it's i think about you're on the number yeah so like you've got like say okay obviously the main goal of what i do is precision rifle with a bit of surplus on the side but we're only a tiny part, these other sides of it, right? We're a small minority in a uh, in a, in a big hunting game, so it's what's going to sell. Um, anyway, so other ammos, anything up top of your head, Hamish? Any, any calibers that are sort of easy to get still? Uh, 30-odd six. I think there's... Oh, yeah.
1: You can still get 30-odd six around the place, and a lot of people hunt with it still. Um, I believe a lot of them would be above 50 um, if they hunt with it still, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, um, well, I bought some Greek surplus from Gun City, I think they had it, I'm pretty sure it was Gun City, and that was reasonably priced, and a lot of people, I think Winchester still make it, it's, the US will never get rid of that calibre, so I think you'll continue to see 30-odd-six being pushed all throughout the place, or well, all throughout the world, really. Um, so yeah, I'd say three three... Thirty odd six, eight mil, six point five, seven point five, um, are the main ones that I would go down. Um, I'm sure you can go into all these different calibers, and you will start to struggle to find ammunition.
0: Yeah, well, like um, like, like we mentioned before, the the French stuff. Like <clears throat> I've got a bunch of French stuff here. I'm slowly working through getting stuff up on the page, and I plan on doing a few videos. But like I had to get. A friend was overseas in America, so I got him to pick me up several sets of dies, and I've sort of slowly been getting brass here and there. And it's, it's like some of these older guns, you might actually not shoot it for six months or a year, well you actually track down, like let's say Lee Lee make dies, but they might only do a run mm-hmm. of dies every couple of years. So you have just you shit out of luck unless a second hand pair comes up, or they just happen to make some more. <clears throat> so if you want to get stuff is- to shoot, you're just gonna have to be realistic.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of places that have dyes. Um, so if anyone's looking for special dyes, then I can keep an eye out. There's a couple of places in the US that will send dyes to us um, without an issue. I managed to get some by fifty-five dyes here at RCBS, I think they were.
0: Yeah, they're nice dyes too.
1: Um, so I managed to get some of those in. And they were, I didn't think it was too bad. I couldn't find any any of them here. And I couldn't find any lead eyes, and I had a whole bunch of guns coming, and thought, "Shit! Well, I need ammunition for it." This was before any any of the ammunition or people that were bringing in, in the ammo were bringing in 7.5, and I thought, "What am I gonna do? I've got all these guns, and no one's gonna be able <laughs> to shoot them." Um, and then, thankfully, Giant um, Ammo Direct brought in a a nice shipping container full of it, so. That all went very quickly, so mm. I was very happy, and I think, um, I think a couple of the importers now have seen how important it is to bring in surplus as everyone's lost uh, their semi-autos for public safety. Yeah, um, We have adjusted, and a lot of us are collecting military surplus, and that's probably why we've noticed more and more of it going up in price, and the fact that they don't make it anymore is also... Another big reason for why I think it's con- going to continue to go up in price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And I guess one thing that, I mean, we're digressing, but it drives up the price is a lot of older guys get into it when they retire, you know, and they've got sort of disposable income. And so you think they think, oh, I'll just chuck another thousand dollars on it, you know, it's that's, that's not a big deal to some people. So it, it is, a, you're not going to get into the game and save a lot of money like back in the day, like surplus originally was a way of getting guns that you could shoot cheaply and you know economically but now it's sort of you're collecting antiques for the most part now but anyway so yeah as, as you said there's certain stuff that ammo comes in and other stuff you just, you're just you better off just to have it as a collectible or be happy shooting it randomly now one thing I could say is uh, you can actually find some weird old ammo at gun auctions uh, so like the um, military auctions in Wellington or the sort of in Potirura mm-hmm. right now Antique Arms auctions. um, And then there's also, like, the New Zealand... uh, What's it called? The Antique Cartridges Club? Yeah, Antique Cartridges Club. Yep.
1: But I'd recommend that for everyone. If you're getting into military surplus, even just going in and watching and listening um, to some of the Antiques Arms meetings, I think it's well worth it. You'll get to see military guns, and these guys will talk about them. And they'll show off usually their pride and joy guns that they've got or their their swords or ammo collections that I've seen a couple of guys do and even just any gun show, it's worth going and seeing. Yep. those That box in the corner that you look at and you go, oh, what's in there? Like I've found some ammo, even, oh, what was it? Seven uh, mil Mauser from the South American Mausers. Still in box, like in a box, yep. cardboard box, and I was thinking, geez, that I'll buy that. And I haven't seen these since, so I, I'm probably not looking in the right places. But <laughs> there's, you just have to, if you come across something that you think is worthwhile and you've, you've done research into it, I would not hesitate. No, because it won't um, come up again. It, yeah, it just doesn't come up again, and um, yeah, there's. It's, I think it's all on you never pay too much for something, you pay too soon. Um, and I think you'll notice that with K98s people that bought K98s for 800 bucks, 600 bucks, now they're 1800. And they're 1800 to actually they're going up again now, but say they're two and a half grand now, what are they going to be in two years, three years, five? Yeah, will yeah. they be more or? I don't see it dropping a huge no. amount unless no. someone opens up their surplus to the world, and I don't see Russia doing that anytime soon.
0: No, they might discover an old salt mine they buried full of guns, but we'll get lucky. Um, but you, no, you, it's a good point. So with, with the ammo thing, um, you like these auctions, you do find... Now, that's all catalogued, so you can have a look through, and a lot of it's must. It might not be identified properly, but... Um, but that cartridge collector's club I used to source a lot of random stuff through that so I had a, a local guy who was very involved in it like I was a member for a long time <clears throat> but more so just to be a member than anything but I'd be after a certain type of ammo and he'd just ring up a guy and I'd have it um, you know I'd have a hundred rounds in no time whether it was in good condition bad condition they tell me but um, it's all out there there's plenty in New Zealand you just gotta find it but now finding full crates of like a certain calibre now, those days are gone for sure. You might find a full crate, but its intrinsic value as a collectible is far more than its ammunition value. So if you find a sealed crate of Mark VI 303, say 900 rounds, it's worth far more than you going out and buying new production 303. Um, So unless you just flat out get lucky, um, those days of big boxes of cheap, Surplus ammo are gone. I thought, if, I guess the last stuff we would have had would have been the, a bit of 7.6254, and then before that, the 7.62 for 39, but obviously that's obsolete for us here with the banning of semi automatics. But um, to fact- factories, your, your main mod- modern ammo, which isn't a bad thing, it, it's you know, the prime measuring in condition, it's non corrosive ammo, um, it's probably, yeah, it's going to shoot pretty well
1: and and i think if you if you don't go out and you don't go to these sort of shows or meetings or anything like that then you won't ever see it if you're just looking online most things tend to disappear within 5 minutes if they're very good yeah um like i i will have to send you this rifle down but i i managed to pick up a swedish m94 on trade me and that was in seven mile moza it was they'd been converted in Germany and it was online for three minutes. Yep. And then it was yours. And <laughs> it was out of complete luck that I managed to see that. Um, but that's most of the th- like large crates or great deals or anything like that. You have to, I'm not recommending for you to scan because you'll push my prices up <laughs> <laughs> for things that I'm buying. But um Yeah, Even if you just have a look and follow Trade Me or follow the gun forums or go to these shows, go to talk to other guys about it or or some of the ladies that are there, just, I think, finding and learning about it, um, wanting to know and wanting to learn about all these different rifles and even ammos, you'll manage to stumble across people that have got um, crates of ammo that they have kept in there safe for 20, 30 years. Um, these things do happen. You do come across people like that.
0: And, and a lot of these old guys will never, ever go near the internet either. So they're not going to list it on Trade Me. They're not going <clears> to <throat> put it on a forum. They're going to go to like antique arms meetings, like you say, or it's going to go to an auction, or it'll just sit in their shed till they pass away, and then their, their family will just get rid of it. So... Um, yeah it's a good argument for joining like obviously i'm a big proponent of the anti-cams i've been a member for must be about 10 plus years 11 years <clears throat> since i was a young lad i um I, I sort of rang a friend and said hey listen i bought a sks and a Mosin. and i want to buy some 303s you got anything and he said oh yeah you know da da da." he goes but you need to come to the anti-cams with me and i, I don't know what it was but i went along and i've been doing it ever since and um that is the place you find like i've i've got guns you know from older gentlemen, they see you're interested genuinely interested and they'll actually offer you certain firearms um, for a good fair price because um, they're keen to see the hobby carry on um, or, you know it's I recently got a mass 36 for very cheap because the guy didn't want to put it on trade me and he just wanted it to be shot and used and looked after so it's um... does he have another <laughs> do you not have a mass 36? <laughs>
1: I don't, no. <laughs> no, well, no,
0: it's, uh, it's already it's already. No, I can away. imagine. <laughs> um, I
1: to, I've been looking for one for a long time.
0: Do you know, and I, and I keep I, going back to it, but that whole shit used to be cheap. When, I, when I, I bought a Mass 36 years ago, but like I said, I had to sell a bunch of stuff when I, when I got my first home, but I paid $400 for it. It was a post-war example, all matching numbers, unissued and i bought i managed to get like four boxes of 20 rounds of syrian surplus ammo because obviously the uh, syria, syria used to be a french colony and um whatever you call it and half it worked half it didn't it was junk i've si- since got given a bunch more syria, syrian ammo and it's absolute just it's actually quite dangerous how, how, it's got like it's so it's, corrosive and it's like 20 second hang fires like actual i've really yeah I've, I've thrown most of it away or, or pulled it for components but anyway I, I digress but so i paid 400 bucks and then at the time i remember all the old guys saying like man about two years ago a bunch of these mass 36s come in same thing post-war example so you know made in like late 45 early thirty-six, forty-six, 46 whatever and they couldn't give them away at the auctions they reckoned because was just french junk to people it was like oh, i don't want that french crap you know people just weren't interested in they were actually just going, you know, selling them for like fifty to a hundred dollars, sort of thing. Um.
1: It, I wish it was still that way.
0: <laughs> and now you I don't know what you pay for a mass nowadays. Um.
1: Uh, there was one at an auction recently, well, about six months ago. That was two and a half.
0: No way. That must have been yep. a pre-World War Two version. Well, they Can, can't be. Anyway, no, it must be. It was. But there's not many of them. It was in a, It was
1: stunning condition. Like yeah. it was brand new. Um. And then there was the year before that was 1800, I think it was. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind one of those um, MOS 36. Is it Slash 51? F-
0: 49, the grenade version.
1: Oh, 49, yep. I think it's 49. Oh, I must one be, of those. I've
0: got one here. It's, um...
1: I would love to get one of those, because I think it would be very, very cool to shoot...
0: I've actually, th- I've actually uh, thought about machining up some replica grenades. Obviously, they'll just be bits of aluminium. And actually loading up some blanks and trying to shoot the grenades. Do you want to do it with a K31?
1: I'm going to bid on some uh, attachments for it.
0: Do it shoot carrots? The orange? Do they shoot the carrots? Shoot carrots. Yeah, well, of course I will. Uh, they sh- similar to a carrot. If, if you can organise those, I'll organise a... Um, uh, a Number one, SMLE with a, a Mills bomb launcher. Ooh. So what you can shoot? That's now cool. we won't shoot Mills bombs because Mills bombs are very expensive. Now, for those listening or the fuzz who are listening, these are inert, right? They, we just sh- they're just—they're not life grenades. <laughs> it's perfectly legal. It's but like you shoot—you you shoot, you can shoot—you shoot tennis balls out of them, yeah, with blanks. Really? Yeah. So you can get the purple blank. There's like the conventional blank. I actually found some today in my shed for like. Um, uh, not you know when you don't want to do live fire you're just making noise and then there's the you buy the 303 blanks that are they're like a sealed and a little tin and they've got a sealed purple end on them from memory they're the high pressure blanks that you don't want to shoulder fire because they're a lot higher pressure and they're for sending grenades across the field so obviously it was a much higher um power blank but if you make that happen i'll make it happen on my end and we'll um I don't know, we'll do something fun. There's an um,
1: option that I'm bidding on some uh, attachments for them, and I really, really want them. There's a... Um, <laughs> I've been looking for them for a long time, and there was another rifle that I was trying to get in, but it's it'll be under a C-CAT. It's a K31 that's been shortened down.
0: I've seen a picture of one of those To today. be... Yeah.
1: yeah. They call them... Uh, was it? A TW-73. Yeah. And... It just looks like a little grenade launcher and it shoots tear gas, and I thought that would be cool, <laughs> just awesome. as a tennis ball shooting
0: yeah.
1: thing. And they still use them to this day
0: well, as for riot control. If they, if they don't, if they, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You're just shooting tear gas. Yeah, that's cool. You so think
1: you'd... Swiss people writing?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> the carrot. Well, if you do get some original carrots, we could probably um, machine up a rough aluminium replica too. And then it's well, not I can as get some of those carrots. Well, then it's not a big deal, like because they're quite collectible, right? The, when we say carrots, it's this big anti anti tank grenade, weren't they? Yeah, anti
1: tank grenade. Quite um, I've actually got some original videos mm. of the training course that they went through. Um, even for the ZFK fifty five, I've got some of the original videos. If people want to ever watch them, um, and if you speak German, then it's good because you can actually understand what they're saying. Um, and showing people how to shoot them and they were using what they called Mm STG-57s with a rifle grenade on the end of it and shooting big blow up sort of tank things Um, and bloody hell that looks like so much fun but you wouldn't want to shoulder that
0: no it's quite a violent because it's such a a big grenade it's a very violent process from watching the the films I think even like the number the the, um, SMLEs they um, would sit them on the ground and um, so like the guys who had who were dedicated as like um, for launching bombs they called them bombs back then but we call them grenades more so they actually had wire wound around the fore end and around the wrist of the gun from memory because they nice. were such high shock zones so if you think about when you shoot a bullet a lot of the recoils from the fact that you're pushing an object of a certain weight forward so you feel a certain amount of opposite reaction right laws of physics everyone always talks about it it's the same with a grenade. So if you shoot a grenade that weighs like two pounds, you're going to have a massive amount of recoil coming back towards your shoulder. So what they'd do is they'd push them into the floor and actually um, and launch them that way um, rather than trying to shoulder it. Um, now, when you see like modern, uh, like an like an M16 or an M4 platform with a underslung grenade launcher, they are much lower pressure. Um, Grenades and the projectile itself isn't particularly heavy, whereas a Mills bomb is quite heavy, and the carrots that, that Hamish is referring to are, are even bigger again because they're intended to take out like a Panzer, you know, a, a tank. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. But uh we should totally do what that. What do you reckon? We should do a, a do grenade. a shoot for that day. Eh? A grenade. Lift. Do a rifle
1: grenade shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. But shooting tennis balls and fake carrots let's see who's actually that good at shooting at uh at 200
0: meters yeah you got to try and land your tennis ball in like a tank size square or something that'd be fun um when the mil shoot finally does happen and i've got some things to talk about with you off uh off recording about that there will be a grenade throwing section as part of one of the stages so you'll throw Perfect. now again not going to throw real grenades not even real inert oh. ones because they're too expensive and collectible. But I'll, like, turn up something on, like, a wooden handle and a piece of steel or something, or maybe tennis balls, I don't know. But maybe you have to get them through a a loophole or into a a pit we dig or something, um, because having that sort of military theme. But anyway, so um, I'm not sure how we got on to grenade launching, but it's very interesting. So there's certain things in in, in military surplus rifles that always... um, gain more attention and it's it's obviously sniper rifles because they're just so freaking cool but also grenade launching stuff um, that sort of piques people's interests because you know with a lot of boys we just find that stuff cool and then obviously there's a big historical thing that's um, neat to learn about um, anyway it's, it's all the things that are hard to get yeah I mean oh there's a bit well those the grenade launching attachments for 303s are expensive now yeah, they are expensive 10 years ago a um, little piece of steel that clips on the end costs you know a thousand bucks or or something like that, but that's just the nature of the beast. Now, uh, one last sort of topic I had here written down, Hmm. official topic. Uh, How to find hard-to-get ammo for strange odd rifles. Now, we sort of talked about uh, being a member of the um, NZ Cartridge Collector's Club, Um, but for a lot of stuff, man, it's going to be... You're going to make it. Like, you're going to have to do a bunch of research, a bunch of measuring... Now the first thing I would do is find an original old cartridge, like you said. You got one example for a Swiss Vetterli, which is, um, I believe, Switzerland's first repeating cartridge rifle. Yeah. Uh, roughly, it's like a black powder version of 44 Magnum, from memory. It's it's, it's pretty not particularly powerful.
1: Stout little cartridge.
0: Mm. But it's so a, find a
1: 395 grain.
0: Find an original example for dimensions. And then get researching, so you might be able to convert brass out of something else, trim it down uh, fire form, get some dyes from overseas or, or New Zealand, um, random stuff comes in, like Steve's Wholesale, one of the big impor- imp- imported distributors in New Zealand, they bring in a lot of random um, brass um, from like, uh, I don't even remember the name, it's like Graff or something, so you can get like French mm. brass and Italian brass and stuff. Um, for those weird to get catches now it's not going to be 50 cents a piece you're going to be paying two dollars plus per piece but really for these old guns 20 rounds 50 rounds is going to be enough in most cases uh yeah and then and then try find a suitable bullet and then if it does come to reloading it um obviously really really be cautious like inspect the firearm for pitting especially under the um under the wood, you, you'll generally find more pitting, as 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 where it's been bolted into the stock and never, never cleaned or oiled under there over the years. Um, if there is pitting, don't try and blend it away; you'll actually make it weaker. Um, get a gunsmith or an appropriate guy to look at it. Take it to antique et cetera, etc., Um Obviously, inspect the bore. It's, it's, you know, if it's got no rifling, there's probably not a lot, of hell of a lot of point to trying to shoot it because the the bullets aren't going to even hit a target at 100 meters. But And then when it does come to actually developing a load, obviously find some um, data from a a good source, uh, Hornaday or Sierra or someone, and then stay down the lower end of the charge weights. Um, And just, you know, you're not trying to set the world alight with these things. You're not trying to... Probably the wrong term. You're not trying to, like, shoot at a 1,000 metres for the most part. So just, if it's a little bit low power, that's not the end of the world. It's going to be easier on your shoulder and... um, a bit nicer on the old gun um, and it's old timber and stuff so just be cautious with some of it and if in doubt um, don't shoot it and get someone with more knowledge to have a look
1: everything I would highly highly recommend if you haven't reloaded before don't or we'll reload for something like a 2 to three first. Yep. that you're not wasting projectiles you're not wasting, well you are wasting projectiles if you don't do it properly but I don't tend to reload a huge amount, um, but I would highly recommend if you do get into it and you do get into these oddball calibers, um, to start reloading. Like there's there's some guns out there if you really get into collecting certain old guns and you open your mind to even black powder guns, then you will need to start reloading pretty quickly. Um, yeah, yep.
0: And and, and and like you said I guess with me at antique Arms I guess there's not a huge reloading knowledge there in my opinion the one I go to anyway <clears throat> so if, if you were completely new to it maybe that's where like going, going to a pistol club or the, a deer stalkers type of thing and, and talking to some of them about reloading now uh, as you mentioned black powder that's a whole other ball game and oh, some guys at the pistol club might be able to help but then it's worth trying to maybe track down a black powder club or something but black powder can um, uh, if you have a charge of powder and then an air gap between the powder charge and the projectile they can detonate and just literally blow up like a grenade um Mm. so black powder loading has albeit it's much lower pressure it has even more sort of um more caution is needed to uh load black powder be it muzzle loader or, or cartridge so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd wait and, and learn quite a lot and do a lot of research and, and try and get in touch with some um, clued-up guys or girls before you sort of stray too much into reloading, let alone black powder. Um, and like, like Hamish said, um, get a modern 223 or something where, you know, you're it's not going to blow up on you, essentially. It's, um, you can't put enough powder in there to, to do any damage. Well, if... You know what I mean. Um, you're not going to please it. don't test that. Yeah, I do do that, but like you know, there's only so much. It's big, strong action for the cartridge size, but like a .30-06, you can really muck that up. So, anyway, moral of the story: don't reload, shoot 303, and you'll be fine. Um, yeah. You'll be safe. <laughs> you'll be safe, unless you're 303 pots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, unless you put the wrong caliber in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't put the wrong caliber. Don't put the wrong caliber in. in. Um, so I guess what. Here's a question for you. What would be... And, and not... Oh, what would be a gun you'd love to have but probably wouldn't be achievable? It can be automatic. It can be pistol. Um, it can be P, P even. Um,
1: there's actually... Uh, the guns that I like and I've always wanted and I know there's one in New Zealand that I'm trying to get my hands on but I just don't have the budget for. Is a tank gear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, had a f- I've always wanted one, um, and I don't know why. I think that has always interested me a lot. Um, it's either, uh, it's hard because it would either be that or a Vickers, a Swiss Vickers.
0: Doesn't Graham Champion have a Swiss um, Vickers?
1: I, I think he. I think he does
0: yeah anyway um, um yeah that'd be cool because it's yeah oh no it might be swedish anyway i've yeah a would be pretty awesome i've actually got a few rounds floating around for one somewhere original I mean, if anyone's got boys
1: i've got a i just go- got a live ammunition for boys i'm
0: just googling boys right now <laughs> so uh, that'd probably be like <laughs> i might actually start doing some digging through some antique arms channels and see if I can get my hands on a boys and a Teagavir for a photo shoot. Because I doubt I could shoot yep. the boys, but I probably could shoot the Teagavir. Anyway, I'm digressing. Well,
1: there's um the guy that's got it. He's up in Auckland. He's got um the, the tank or the Teagavir, mm-hmm. and um he's actually got ammunition for it.
0: Is that Miles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to him a few times, long time ago. Um, he had it at a secret show a few years ago. Actually, quite interesting you know trying to. It must have been for an anti stand standard thing uh, so for those then, of you who don't know what a t-gevier is so when the, the the british first introduced the tank or, or what we know as a tank in, in, in 1916 the first world war um literally the germans just seen these big armored behemoths rolling across the battlefield a lot of them actually ran away and then they sort of realized if you smash them but of artillery they're, they're buggered and they're super slow and break down but they were panicked because they didn't know how to destroy these things, right? And you couldn't always—it wasn't like now where you can call an artillery, pinpoint accuracy, and offer radio. Right back then, it was phones with, you know, literal wire connections between them, etc. And we didn't get early radio to the end of the war. But so they got the Mauser, the Gewehr 98, infantry standard infantry Mauser of the First World War for the German Army, Imperial German Army, and they just scaled it up really big. Uh, I believe the cartridge they'd been working on a Maxim that shot it, so like a, um, yeah. So this this was the precursor to the 50 BMG cartridges cartridge. So they they turned it into this um, essentially just a really big Mauser, um, and it would have enough power to punch through the um, the early tanks, um, the Mark ones armor, because it was only like half inch armor, and this was essentially an armor it's piercing uh, 50, was it
1: 13 mm
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, so and um, so but the downside to these things is they were, um, if they were shot prone, they would break the a lot of the time they'd break the shooter's collarbone because they had that much power and they never muzzle break or anything. <clears throat> but I, I imagine the idea was that you shot it from a trench so you'd be standing and then you, like obviously it'd hurt but, not break your collarbone in half. Um, so what happened was and with I mentioned they become. 50 BMG. The Americans captured, uh, everyone captured a lot of these things, including us. Um, but they took the cartridge back to America, and um, and was it John Moses Browning? It must have been. They developed yep. the um, the 50 BMG cartridge off that German cartridge, essentially. Um, and, well, I mean, and that, that cartridge is still heavily used today by everybody in the world, pretty much um, the Western That's world. It's very similar
1: to a 50 BMG it's 795 grain bullet mm.
0: yeah well, it's, it's just, it's, they just copied 2, it
1: 2580 feet per second Yeah,
0: and obviously these and then these anti-tank guns were a thing for about 20 years between the wars but sort of by the first year of the war they were obsolete because tanks armor just got too good for shoulder fired weapons to actually have any effect and then we sort of had to go to Obviously, bigger, higher-velocity shells by anti-tank guns, or um, and then we started getting into like um, armor-piercing rockets and stuff like that. But anyway, but the boys' boys' anti-tank would be pretty cool, also actually, and probably a little bit easier to get ammo for. Not easy. Well, I've got that one round that you can shoot if you want. I've got one round too, so we've got two rounds. <laughs> um, but yeah, two well, rounds. There you go. I wonder what, what would be for me. So obviously I get to get a lot of cool stuff. Um, I'll go and visit collections and do a bit of photography sessions with them. Actually, one came into the country the other day, but the collector doesn't want to let me f- do photos of it. He's quite private. As um, an FG forty two, I did hear about this. Yes. So the, uh, you know the, um, mm. they're pretty rare. I think I'm not sure how many in New Zealand. There's one in um, Waiuru Army, the Army Museum. I don't know how many are in private hands in New Zealand. It can only be a few. So this was a... Um, oh, you couldn't... It's, it's kind of a precursor it's to an like assault par- rifle, maybe. But it's not... It hasn't got that short cartridge. Um, it's like a paratrooper. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a semi-automatic and automatic shoulder-fired infantry rifle. But it was an 8mm Mauser. Took magazines, 20-round box mags that loaded from the side. Um... Um, and it, uh, I think, it fired from an open bolt on se- on automatic and a closed bolt on semi-automatic for accuracy reasons. If, if you care about that stuff, um, they were very expensive to make, and I'm not sure after Crete how many they made. But so very famous battle. We, obviously, it was kind of run by the New Zealanders. Battle of Crete. we lost, but we. Um, it was the last time the German Froschmjäger was used as essentially an airborne force so they they you know air dropped over the island and essentially we shot most of them out of the air while they were floating down and it um it sort of rattled the germans enough that they sort of never used them in that role again we still lost the battle uh but like like yeah it's like gallipoli we lost that one too but it's still one of our famous battles but anyhow um these guns are very very rare um, so I guess one of those would be quite a cool firearm to have in the collection or at least play with or f- do a photography session with or something. Um, I'm sure you'll get your hands on one one I'll f- day. I'll figure it out, yeah. Maybe I'll just go harass the army museum, see if they'll get it out and let me wear some, take it out. in the Just um, don't dress
1: up in your, your German uniform, okay?
0: <laughs> no, that's better for the photos, so. though. No, but yeah, um, they are incredibly, like I'm, I, I, I imagine they have a price tag of around $75,000 was the last price I heard, so... Um, whether that's. It's probably about right. Yeah, they are. Uh, yeah, once in a lifetime guns. But anyway. Um, yeah, so that'd probably be me. And, and uh, if I talked in the realm of like realistic guns that I'd like, that, you know, that could actually happen if I really committed to it and asked the bank. Um, oh, it'd probably be. Oh, probably a. Yeah, First World War New Zealand marked Vickers machine gun would be the. Uh, yeah, that would be it that's actually
1: that'd be a cool gun to have
0: yeah I've got I've no, got I'm to go sure to you a could p- probably get your hands on one you can't well then I've the last heard of a New Zealand one selling it went a bit mental because of the NZ marks on it obviously in New Zealand mm. it's going to be f- worth far more than anywhere else right because of the, the Kiwi connection but um but I've actually i have got to go to a photo session with a with a vickers um soon it's not an NZ one but it's um a nice one anyway it's, it's fine, uh, and also we can tr-
1: I'll try to get a Swiss one in for you to take some photos of if you
0: want. Oh, I'm keen on any cool stuff, but I um, there's also a, f- a few Maxims there too, um, German Maxims with all this, the first world war accessories. So I've just got I plan on actually we well, were going to dig a trench or something and can actually set them up quite in a bit of a position, you know, before we do it. So that'll that'll happen one day, probably probably this summer. Um, I like to stage my photos with a few props and etc etc anyway yeah definitely
1: no they always they always look good oh i just think saying that before
0: it's it's yeah it's i like i was talking to hamish about it i'd take a lot of photos to get one good photo for some guns they just it's it's just sort of hard uh, it's it's very hard it's it depends the time of year too like if i'm working a lot and it's rainy weather and it's winter I can't get outside, right? And, and taking photos inside is very, very hard. You need heaps of props. You need to, like, cover up the fact that you're inside. So you need, like, nice timber wall. or And the lighting's really hard. But outside a natural light, it's a lot easier. So summer's summers, quite good for, for doing photography. And Like, I've got a bit of a trench I've dug and and stuff like that here on my place, and um, which I need to go do a bit of work on now that it's locked down. But, um yeah sometimes it should be quite cool yeah it's it's only um i just muck around it but it's sometimes to get one photo i might muck around like for an hour moving things around or you know playing with just lighting. To get that right photo yeah it's odd eh? it's silly but it's just what i like to do you sort of take an interest in photography um without really knowing what you're doing so you sort of just blunder your way through it but um and, and and all I want to take photos of is firearms. I don't really care about, like, landscapes or people or anything. It's just um, cool old guns and new guns.
1: Well, that's, that's always a nice thing. I would, I'm not a very good photographer, and I try... Well, my neighbours can look, and so if I try and take them outside, like I posted a photo the other day of the ZFK-55, and I had to hide in the corner... So nobody could see in, nobody could see the gun. <laughs> Just to get a nice photo of the sunlight, I think it's quite lucky where you are that you can take a gun onto the backyard and not have to really worry about everybody looking in and having a bit of a an issue with people turning up at you, <laughs> with the police turning up at your house. Because <laughs> yeah. you've got guns outside, so I was like, oh, I need to sneak this one. Just, and I had to take it quite quickly because I thought, I don't want anyone to... To call the cops and say oh he's got a gun outside <laughs> so
0: i wonder if you could build like a um one of those white screens you know with the floor and curves out the wall you like hang a white sheet down or i don't know how they do it but um that could look quite cool with just nice white background yeah I could probably, probably just in the shed have a look at that i've actually been meaning i've been meaning to get some studio lighting for doing inside ones anyway this is probably not very interesting people but um any other things you want to talk about while you're on here Hamish
1: Um, we've got another shipment underway um, so that should be here in a couple of I'd say in about a month or so Um, so we're pretty excited it's our biggest shipment we've ever done um, with a lot more variety in this not just Swiss guns which is the the big one Um, we've had a lot of people ask are there any other guns you guys can get so, we do have some that I've sort of taken a bit of a, a punt on, so we can get them in.
0: Oh, because you, is it a few Norwegian things and, is that that stuff?
1: Yeah, but Norwegian K98. Yeah. Um, so, I've got one of those coming in. Um, actually, it's a bit of a list that I think I sent to myself. Um, so, oh, even some Kakanos. Nice. Managed to get a kakano coming in. Um, there's yeah, uh, oh even a K ninety eight, a Persian Mauser coming through. Persian on M forty four. Nice. Yeah, got a Persian one coming.
0: What's Persia now? So That's Syria, correct? Is that Syria? Or Syria, or Iran. Yeah, Iran. I think Iran. I think, oh. Let's the check. Middle East is, has a few name changes over the last 100 years. Iran. I'm pretty sure it's Iran. Just a couple. Mm. <laughs> Let's check.
1: Yeah. One of those. I think it's Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, it is Iran. And then we've got, well, uh, uh, an 1893 Swiss Man liquor coming as nice. well. Nice. Um, so yeah, I've got one of those. And even I, I actually got a rifle for free and I I normally don't. Tell people they've got a gun for free, but I, I got an Irma M1, twenty-two coming. Um, I thought well, it's a free gun, can't can't go wrong with that, and um, I was gonna probably just keep it because it's something. They're not probably worth a lot here. Um, but I thought oh, cool little twenty-two that looks like an M1 carbine. That's not too bad, and it's better than the the Chiapa ones. Yeah. So, oh, and a M forty four Hungarian. So, um, and there's a there's a quite a list, longer list coming through as well. So,
0: yeah. That uh, I'm just looking at the eighty ninety three man. Look, they're quite nice looking rifle, aren't
1: they? Yeah. The yeah. only thing with them is they shoot uh, GP ninety ammo. Yeah. Not GP eleven. So they don't shoot just seven point five by fifty five. It's seven point. It's,
0: uh, it's a significantly lower pressure cartridge, isn't it? Yeah. yep so you have to
1: so um, I'm going to try get my hands on some GP90 yep. um, which I I can get um, so I'll probably bring in I'd probably say about 200 rounds of it and that should be enough for for a while are you going to sell it or save so, it? I, I know there's a couple on online so I might I might bring in a couple well, 500 rounds and yeah. the rest can go to other people yeah. um, if they want it so I know there's a guy in Auckland that's got one that would like to, to shoot it and there's also um, uh, there is a all the 1889 Schmidt Rubens shoot that calibre as well mm-hmm. so I guess there, there could actually be some people that want to, to shoot those old guns yep yeah. so yeah I guess I guess I could bring some in. I, if there's any interest, then send me a message and I can sort of write you down and then see what how much you'd like and we can go from there. Sweet.
0: Nice. So. Oh, it sounds like you've got some cool stuff coming in anyway. I'm sure we'll see some yeah, cool definitely. photos and we'll do a bit of cool stuff with all of that. Anyway, I think yeah. that about wraps up. Uh, what we we want to talk about? We've been talking for 85 minutes now, so that's a hell of a yarn. Um, yeah, any last closing words, Hamish?
1: No, it's all good. Check out, um, we're check just out looking your forward to this Instagram.
0: shoot. Yep. You got so, Sorry. I was just going to say, people should check out your Instagram and Facebook, so nzmillserps on both. Um, if you can't find people it, it find look through me. my stuff. You'll find some surplus pictures, and there'll be a link in most every one of those anyway um, on Instagram and Facebook. And, Perfect. Yeah. Your, your Facebook's looking quite healthy now too, I notice, which is good. Again, some yeah, good interest. I was there.
1: quite quite happy. So uh, what is it, twelve hundred people now? So I was pretty pretty happy with that, and that keeps growing.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's um, that's awesome. Nah, sweet. All right, so yeah, um, as I said, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Um, you'll see more sort of collaboration stuff between Hamish and I in the future, as we have been doing for the last few years and um yeah all right enjoy this bonus lockdown episode of the precision unloaded podcast and we will see you all next time cheers